Welcome to Code Talk, the podcast from dzone.com, for developers, by developers. Hey, Dzone, we're here at Red Hat Summit 2016 at Damascone West, and I'm here with Owen Garrett, who is the, what is your title again? So, John, I am head of products at Nginx. So I look after our product roadmap and our product features, working with the community and with our end users to make sure that we continue to build the right technology and the right products for modern web applications. And just give us a little sense of where you came from, how your life and career got you to where you are now. Sure, so my background is in web servers, application servers, load balancers, and and software-based technology. I began my career at a software company in Cambridge in the UK that built an early web server product called the Zeus web server and we grew that out we competed with the likes of Apache with Sun and other web servers in the early days of the internet and I've continued to remain in that space my heart is around helping developers build applications to help scale those applications and ensure that those applications are successful when they're deployed in the real world so we were just talking a little bit before about the future of web servers and web scale and applications and things like that. And I guess you're a perfect person to give us a little bit of that like bigger picture perspective of how things are developing, maybe how things are coming back around to old ideas that are being implemented correctly. And and um, can you give us a sense, first of all, so I think most of our readers are, are generally familiar with Nginx. Um, sure. There's a greater probability they will have used Apache, but many of them very yeah. familiar. Give us a little bit of quick intro to Nginx and then also um, what's particularly cool, how you guys achieve better performance. Yeah. Of course, of course. So, so Nginx began as a solution to try and help an existing website, a site called Rambler.ru, a Russian web portal, to help that site scale and handle vast volumes of traffic. Was that a new site? Or? It, was, it was very similar to a portal like Yahoo. Mm-hmm, okay. um, it was, you could almost regard it as the Russian equivalent of Yahoo. This was 10 or 12 years ago okay. when there was a huge business in building portals and trying to grab the home page of users' browsers. And Nginx was started by a young system administrator called Igor Soyev, a Russian engineer who was charged with making sure that this application could cope with the increase in volumes of traffic. The application on the website was built on Apache and it was suffering scalability problems. And at the time, the industry was talking about a concept called the C10K problem. How can I scale a web platform to handle 10K, so 100,000, 10,000 concurrent connections. And the technology at the time wasn't able to deliver that level of scalability. Igor developed Nginx as a solution for that problem. And it began life as a proxy that was deployed in front of Apache or the existing web application. And it offloaded huge volumes of traffic from the internet, optimized it, and then helped the web application deliver the sort of performance that would deliver in the lab rather than suffering with the problems and the vagaries of real-world traffic. So how does that split work? And has it changed a lot since then? Yeah. So the, the technology and the architecture is, is very, very similar now to how it was 11 or 12 years ago. It's based on a very, very sound approach of using what's known as an event-driven model for handling connections. Okay. So this is async, like exactly. callbacks? Yeah, the whole async... Not quite callbacks in the sense of Node or JavaScript, um, a little bit more straightforward. You can contrast it with the way that traditional web applications were built. The platforms they were built on use threads or processes to handle connections. Connection comes in, it spins up a thread, the thread blocks, does what it needs to do to read the request, generate response, write it back again. It's a really simple and effective programming model. It allows developers to be massive and productive 
And you can see with the Apache web server, there's a huge number of third-party modules that plug in because that architecture is very, very amenable to being extended. But it has an Achilles heel, and the Achilles heel is the scalability. As you get more and more connections coming into the server, it needs to run more and more threads or processes. And that makes this, that causes scalability problems in the server. Because you've got like a, a very flat now picture of resource utilization, is yeah. that right? Yeah. yeah, so you've got a flat picture, but you're you're deploying one of these units, a thread or a process for every single for every single connection. Mm -hmm. So as you get up to a thousand concurrent connections, you have a thousand concurrent threads. Mm -hmm. And as you scale further, you use more and more resources in the server. Threads or processes require memory, they require CPU resource. Most importantly, they require operating system resource. The operating system has to schedule those, swap them in and out of the processor in response to network traffic. And there's overhead for all of that. And it's for HTTP yeah. 1, there was yes. a new connection to HTTP for every single resource, exactly. right? Exactly. And then HTTP 1 added keep alives, which made the situation even worse. So you're locking resources now because yeah. the thread's still alive and the connection's still alive. Yeah. Exactly. Even though the connection's doing nothing, you're queuing up resources. Right. So that caused a big scalability problem with that sort of architecture. Worked fine in the lab work fine with a benchmark over a fast local network, but put it in the real world, and the scalability problems began to hit. As traffic went up, performance would go down, and there really was no easy way to solve that. And it's not just a matter of predicting a good size of a thread pool, right? It's actually just a large number of threads, a lot of OS overhead. Yes, it is. And with that architecture, it's trivially easy to mount denial of service attacks or other sorts of attacks to deliberately consume all the resources of the server, lock out valid connections, degrade the performance of the website, and it's very, very difficult to protect against that. So it's just, hey, I want that file, I want that file again and yeah. again, yeah, and everyone's a new yeah. thread. Yeah, right? and you can say, I want that file very, very slowly. So you spin up the thread and you ask very slowly, a thousand times in parallel, I want that file, you've maxed the server out. So how do you stop that? How does Nginx prevent that? So Nginx stops it in two ways. First of all, it has an event-driven architecture which means that a single Nginx process can handle lots and lots of connections at the same time. And by lots and lots, I mean tens or hundreds of thousands of connections to a single process. And the process schedules all of those connections using the events that the operating system generates. Sometimes it's called a poll or a select model. So the process checks, do any of these connections have data ready? Picks out the ones that do have data ready, handles those instantaneously, and then goes back and rescans. And there are very efficient operating system methods to help that rescanning process work efficiently. Okay, so in other words, you're going inside the thread, making the structure inside the thread, as it were, or the, this process, I guess, be, yeah. match the structure of the actual data transmission. Yes, and making that structure match hundreds of thousands of concurrent data transmissions. Right. So it's like having a single phone call, a single phone, but being able to handle tens or hundreds of phone calls coming in at the same time and switch between those, rather than having individual phones and you have to pick them up and put them down. Right. So I can understand that at a conceptual level. We can go a little bit deeper into how you actually, how do you do that? How do you find out? Basically, how you sort of defrag the processor resources sure. or something like that. Sure. So the Nginx architecture is to run a small fixed number of processes, typically one per CPU core. Okay. Each process will listen for connections as they come in using a system call called accept. As a new connection comes in, it will be picked up by one of those processes. Each process manages a large list of concurrent connections. And it sits in a very, very tight loop. The connections are put into a mode called non-blocking, which means that the process can read data or write data to the connection 
without having to wait. This is a POSIX concept? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so this is a POSIX concept for sockets okay. and TCP connections. Yeah. So the process will have a large array of connections that it's handling, and it will use an operating syscall like EPO to alert it when any of those connections are ready. So by ready, that could mean that there's some data that's been received in operating system buffers that can be read. So then the process can start reading the connection. Or it could mean that if that, connect, if that connection is in the state where we want to write a response down, we could be signified that it's ready when there's space available in the operating system buffer to write the data. Okay. And the smarts of Nginx are that we can handle lots and lots of those, those connections concurrently, and we can very efficiently schedule those connections. We can switch between the connections very fast. Contrast that with the Apache-like module, where each connection is mapped to a thread, so the operating system has to pick the thread up, drop it on the core, let it run, let it do its blocking operation. When it's blocking, the operating system swaps it off. There's a heck of a lot more management work. And the OS is not really thinking about network connections very much, or at least not many, many connections no, at no, once. Not that many. The OS yeah. is a general purpose structure. Yeah. It's battling between managing hundreds of thousands of network connections and whatever your window manager is trying to do. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very general purpose architecture, and it's not it's not specialized enough to handle that kind of workload. Right. So this is cool. This The basic architecture sounds, yeah. sounds really neat and interesting. Yeah. Nginx does more than just that, right? Yeah. More than just the basics. Can you go on about it? So there's load balancing component also? Yeah. And, so yeah. in, in terms of accelerating Apache, there's two parts. So the first part was the, the connection scheduling we talked about. That allows Nginx to handle lots and lots of connections at the same time. The second part is our reverse proxy capability. We make connections to the Apache server. If your application is, is hosted on Apache or to Tomcat or whatever your app's running on, and then we can play those requests to the server and get the response back again. You might think, but isn't that what the server was doing originally? But the difference is that we're massaging those requests. We're playing them across a local network, very fast sockets. We're using key for live connections. We're optimizing the traffic in various ways. And that allows your server to run in a much more efficient manner. It doesn't have to handle lots and lots of concurrent slow connections. Instead, it handles a small number of very fast connections. So the reverse proxy is doing a little bit outside the box what yeah. your uh, connection scheduler is doing inside the box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that allows you to extract much more performance from the web application. Nginx also provides a bunch of other features to help you scale and protect the application. I sometimes compare it to a shock absorber in a car. You get spikes, you get bumps of traffic, you get shocks coming off the internet. Nginx absorbs all of those, smooth them out. It can do things like rate limiting, so it can smooth out big spikes of traffic. It offloads the compute heavy stuff like HTTPS or HTTP2. The different machines or? Yep, well, to its own specialized implementation. Okay. So then your application doesn't have to do that. So you can centralize and scale your SSL layer on Nginx. Mm -hmm. It caches responses. So if you get a flurry of requests for the same resource, we can cache that resource, and then the backend application doesn't have, to, doesn't have to handle lots of requests. Even if you've got a dynamic application, say a blog site, where the front page is, a page is changing every couple of seconds as new content is added, you can still use Nginx to cache that and greatly reduce the load on that backend application. And I've, I've seen examples of a WordPress site that struggles to handle 15 or 20 page requests a second for its home page using our micro-caching te technology 
confront that WordPress, it went from 15 to 20 to three and a half thousand. That's very impressive. Hardware. Yeah, that's so very those impressive. Those are the sorts of benefits that you can achieve. So it, it does immediately seem to me, just looking at like the HTTP RFC or TCP, it immediately seems there are gigantic inefficiencies here, potentially, right? With any kind of, not even a dynamic, let alone dynamic, yeah. but even just anything that has binary resources associated mm -hmm. with it. Any modern website, in other words, right? Yeah. Um, and and the, the standards, like HTTP2, is trying to, has tried to address that a bit, at least yeah. by not requiring. So is this sort of, are, are, what is your response to that? I'm sure you handle that well, but like, yeah. well, how is HTTP changing? Nginx and the, and the whole space. Yeah. So HTTP is changing software. HTTP2, adds a new transport layer underneath HTTP. Mm -hmm. And it deals, it helps to deal with one, with a couple of particular problems with HTTP. It provides compression for HTTP headers, which reduces the bandwidth that you use, and it provides pipelining. And the point of pipelining is that with the old HTTP architecture, every connection was a new TCP connection. New handshake. New handshake. The client would write a request, it would wait for a response, and then it would reuse that connection. HTTP2 allows you to multiplex lots and lots of requests down the same TCP connection. Mm -hmm. So if you're running over a high latency network, like a WAN, if you're managing traffic for an application that has a lot of resources, so a photo sharing site that has lots and lots of images, then HTTP2 gives you some big benefits. Because as a client, you can make a single request, you can get the home page, you scan that to see what the dependent resources, you can ask for all those resources in one go and get them back on the same TCP connection. So it brings performance benefits for that, but it adds complexities as well. Some of the, the tricks and techniques that people would have used to get around the inefficiencies of HTTP, those have to be unwound and undone. And it means, in many cases, changes of the components that you're building your application on. With Nginx, we can solve a lot of that because you can deploy Nginx as an HTTP2 gateway in front of your application. Everything inside still talks HTTP. So you use the same code, the same infrastructure, the same architecture, and with literally one line of configuration, you can enable HTTP2 for your app. Which well, is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Except for another benefit of having a proxy, right? Yeah, yeah. A proxy is a fantastic way of fixing up all sorts of problems. Yeah, I feel like also this is a problem that's been solved organizationally by something mm -hmm. like the executive assistant or something like that. And there's all sorts of levels of proxying, right? Yeah. But when you're writing a web application, we're still a little bit of the like the, the sort of the telecom world mm -hmm. where it's like I'm calling you, and that's it. We're and talking, and yeah. And by putting something in between that runs transparently as Nginx does, that gives you another layer of control. So you can change the protocols, you can turn on SSL or HTTP, you get logging, you can get instrumentation, all sorts of, of clever things you can use Nginx for. As a little tool that sits in between your clients and your applications. Now are there any kinds of, if for streaming applications, let's say, or real-time applications, yeah. which for which in any case TCP is itself often a little bit too latency-full, right? And for yeah. which loss is better sometimes, right? It's okay for the yeah. picture to degrade, but latency is not okay. Yeah. Are there things that you guys are handling there or thoughts you have on that emerging yeah. streaming media and IoT yeah. space? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a really interesting emerging market. Um, Nginx started as an HTTP web server and no balancer and reverse proxy. And over the last couple of years, we've added in more basic TCP load balancing. And recently, we released UDP load balancing as well. Nice. And our goal for doing that is that we're finding that people were using Nginx as the single point of entry for large web infrastructures. 
they'd stopped using big expensive hardware load balancers and gateways and we're moving towards more cost-effective you know, open source or low-cost software alternatives but they needed more functionality they were handling more than just web traffic they've got legacy applications that use other TCP protocols or they use UDP protocols we're seeing some customers and users coming to us wanting to do IoT use cases with UDP with yeah very often with UDP so for that reason we're building out the functionality in Nginx the project so that all the magic we do for HTTP we can also do for simple TCP traffic and for UDP does that change any way so I guess the types of applications that are using these the datagram style the UDP the yeah. DTLS does that change how you do the load balancing or how you do the connection management or is it really the same algorithms just it's, it's similar. UDP is, a, is, is quite different because UDP isn't connection-based mm -hmm. in a way. That it's just UDP vomit is. stuff at some yeah, yeah, vomit stuff. It's a packet by packet, and we've got to figure out when a session is created, pin that to an upstream, and mm -hmm. send the traffic back. To so that's right. like clever heuristics and stuff. Yeah, it's so like, it's heuristics and yeah. configuration and timeouts and other other kinds of stuff. And there's things we're still working on. Right. UDP is is a complex thing to load balance effectively because although it's a really simple protocol. Because it's so simple, it's used in so many different ways. And it doesn't abstract away the connection state, no, right? You can't be like, we are connected, we are not connected. It's yeah. like, are, are we connected? You're still sending me stuff, yeah. right? But yeah, you've got no way of knowing if we're connected. Is the, is the upstream, the real server, still up? You don't know. Some, some UDP traffic, you get a request, and the protocol doesn't generate a response. So you don't know whether that got through. You don't know if that upstream is running. Right. So there's lots of technology we need to add. Well, we are adding it to the product to help make that simpler. Cool. Yeah, nice. Um, so just to, to close off then, like, what do you see as the uh, the future challenges of web applications yeah. that you guys are raising, or IoT or whatever, and um, and how you guys are going ahead and doing that? Yeah, the huge change that we're seeing is the need for load balancing, not just at the edge of the application, but within the application as well. Okay, like to a database server or to a person? Well, that's, you know, that's, that's still the old school way of looking at things, having a couple of tiers for your application, the web tier, the app tier, the database tier, and the load balance between the two. That's an architecture that served as well for 15 or 20 years, but it has limitations in scalability. Most importantly, it has limitations in how quickly you can apply updates, you can roll out changes, you can do continuous integration. So you're talking about load balancing like among microservices. Exactly. And as you build out a microservice application, load balancing becomes key, not just at the edge, but inside the application as well. You need service discovery. If one component wants to talk to another, it's got to find it. It's got to talk to a load balancer, which then forwards the traffic to the destination component, health checks it, applies caching for circuit breaker heuristics. There's a lot of complexity behind the scenes in these in the modern microservices way of doing things. And anytime I talk to somebody who's trying to implement microservices, to that point, the point where you start to think about the connectivity, where you're like, maybe it's not worth it. I don't know. Right? Yeah. That's a numbers question, right? How much and yeah. facilitating. And, yeah, and as you scale, it only gets more and more complex exponentially. And potentially dangerous if you don't have good circuit breaker thresholds. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. If you don't have good security, if you're not running SSL everywhere, if you don't have good authentication, if you don't have good caching. Mm -hmm. So this is what's driving our roadmap going forward. So these sorts of use cases and serving the needs of users who are building applications, not necessarily with containers, but building applications that are very decoupled and distributed. And they need a way of connecting all of those different components reliably and tracking and scaling the application the volume of traffic coming in varies. Right, and something like, I guess, an in-between layer like Nginx is trying to make real that 
impossible fantasy of a truly yeah. transparent distributed system, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's it's an impossible fantasy, but our job as as vendors and software developers is to try and build a platform that gets you as close as possible to that fantasy. That's really exciting. Is there anywhere else um, we should go to check out and learn more about Nginx or about the problems you're talking about? Or? Yeah, if you have time, please grab the Nginx blog, nginx.com slash blog. There is a wealth of information there, not just on how to use Nginx for current applications, but thought pieces around microservice architectures, things that you may want to look at as a developer in order to expand your knowledge and expand the scope of how you approach problems, and also real-world technical, practical solutions on how to solve problems like service discovery or auto-scaling, deploying on Kubernetes and scaling out horizontally. So check that out, nginx.com slash blog, or on DZone, where many of our pieces are, are, are shared to a wide audience. And I can second that, Nginx's blog is remarkably rich for the technical content and depth, and, and for the awareness that uh, the application developers have to have a kind of a, an intellectual and architectural part in this, solving this big distributed problem. Great. So, right, thanks a lot. John, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To hear more, go to dzone.com slash podcast. If you have any comments or questions or would like to request a guest to appear on the show, email me at johnny at dzone.com. That's J-O-H-N-E at dzone.com. E-O-F. <laughs>